Good afternoon, everybody. It's Tuesday afternoon. It's a dreary Tuesday afternoon here in New England. And this is Dr. Dennis Tian. This is the Doctor Football Podcast at NFL Football Doc on Twitter. I'm here. It's the trade deadline coming up at 4 o'clock. we got a whole weekend of NFL action to look back upon. Lots of things to talk about. I'm going to start right away in New England, where I always like to start with the New England Patriots. Now, let's just call it what it is. The Patriots right now are 8-0. But if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that I've been saying this is this team had the easiest path to 8-0 of any team in NFL history. And I think that's a statistical fact. And it's only been further validated in the last few weeks. Now, the extended preseason, which is really what the first eight weeks of the year has been for the Pats, is over. The real season begins on Sunday night in Baltimore. And we're going to finally get to see what this New England Patriots team, and specifically what this New England Patriots defense really, truly is. I have no doubt right now that the Patriots are a very, very good defense. And I'll even go so far as to call them a great defense. But I don't think anyone can say that this is a generational defense, an all-time great defense, until we see them beat quality opponents and shut down a good offense or two. Patriots have played historically bad competition. And if you look, there have been a few statistical analysis. And the Patriots are doing so well, even against bad competition, that it is historic. But I need to see it with my eyes against Dallas, against the Chiefs, hopefully Mahomes will be healthy, against the Ravens, because they're the hot new thing this year. I need to see them beat the Texans in Houston and shut down Deshaun Watson before I'm willing to even think about comparing this team to one of the all-time great defenses. You know, the question remains, can a team that is built exclusively or almost, almost entirely on defense win a championship in 2019 NFL? The rules are so tilted towards the offense. Pass interference call all the time. Can't hit anymore. Can't touch the quarterback. Have to give more space. Is it possible to shut down top offense for 60 minutes consistently? It better be because the thing is, this Patriots offense is not just average. They're actually kind of bad. And they're putting up a lot of points. And they're at the top of the league in points. But that's a red herring. Because if you've been watching them play, they're getting a lot of points from defense. They're getting a lot of points from special teams. They're getting short fields. They're having a ton of time of possession because this defense is just so dominant. But they're not moving the ball with consistency. They're not moving the ball up and down the field. And everything on offense feels like it's a struggle. Why? Because their offensive line is bad. And I don't know what the hope is for them that it's going to change. There is hope. Shaq Mason was out on Sunday. Isaiah Wynn's coming back. Mason will be back. You're just hoping 
that they can get their offensive line figured out. Because for them to really win a Super Bowl in 2019, they need the offense to at least be above average. With this defense, I don't think you you need a great offense. But I think you need a very good offense, or a good one at least. And right now, their offense isn't good. It isn't even average. It's, it's really below average. And I don't care how many points they scored because I see what their defense is handing them. I'm watching this team play. I'm looking at the lack of skill position. I'm looking at their inability to block anyone from anything. And I'm seeing that this team, against, if they were in a position where they had to score points against a good defense, especially on the road, I see them struggling. I really do. I see them struggling. On Sunday, the Browns really should have been right in that game. They consistently, consistently thwarted the Patriots offense. The Patriots had one or maybe two sustained drives in that whole game. They were gifted 17 points. The reason the Patriots won that game by 17 points is because Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens could not get out of their own way. I mean, that was embarrassing. If, if, if Cleveland had just not shot itself in the foot consistently with penalties and with the three turnovers early on, they would have been right in that game. They would have been right in that game. They probably could have won that game. They played well in some ways. I mean, if I'm looking at who moved the ball better, I mean, the Browns moved the ball better than the Patriots on Sunday, truth be told, for being honest. But they couldn't get out of their own way with penalties and with three early turnovers. <laughs> and that's why they lost. And I give the Patriots defense all the credit in the world. You know, you have to play the teams that are on the schedule. You, you don't get to pick which teams you play. And what they're doing is historic, even against bad opposition. I mean, there are a lot of teams in the NFL that are great teams, that are great offensive team, defensive teams, that still lose to bad teams, lose to mediocre teams, have bad weeks, have letdown weeks. And the Patriots haven't done any of that. I mean, they've been so damn consistent and so damn good. So I do give them credit for what they've done. And on Sunday against Cleveland, they really, again, were so damn consistent and so tough. And they won that game. They won that game for the Patriots. The offense of the Patriots was a liability on Sunday. And it kept Cleveland in the game. That game should have been 31 to nothing at halftime. So don't tell me that there aren't holes on this Patriot roster. If we're being honest right now, if we're being honest about who the most complete team is in the NFL on October 29th, is there any doubt that it's the New Orleans Saints? The New Orleans Saints have less holes. They don't have the gaping holes. they got a great offensive line. they got the skill position, guys. And, oh, by the way, very quietly, the defense is great, too. And that's why they went 5-0. and They didn't go 5-0 and when Breeze was hurt because Teddy Bridgewater carried them. They went 5-0 and because their defense played great, and they got a great offensive line, and they got great running backs, and they got enough skill position guys to make plays, no matter who's throwing them the ball. And now that Breeze is back, he looked pretty decent on Sunday. He's only going to get better. That team is a formidable team. I mean, you could even make an argument that the San Francisco 49ers have less holes than the Patriots. You know, the Niners, they got Garoppolo. I think he's their biggest question. But other than that, that team is pretty well built. 
So we're going to see over the next five weeks, six weeks, what this Patriots team really is and whether they are the kind of team that's a generational defense and a generational team that flirts with undefeated or whether they just kind of caught some breaks in the schedule and they're a very good team and they're a contender for sure, but they're really not historic. I mean, that's what's going to play out over the next five weeks. You know, even the worst case scenario over these next five games, let's say they go two and three. Let's say they go one and four. They're still going to be 12 and four, 13 and three. I mean, they, they finished with Cincinnati and Buffalo and Miami at home. So they have a, they have a, a very high likelihood that they're going to have a great record and get a bye week. They're already three games up on the Chiefs. So the road to the AFC playoffs is coming through Foxborough unless something absolutely unforeseen happens. And even then, even if Brady gets hurt, they got three-game lead. They got some softballs on the schedule. This team could ride Stidham to a 12-4 and record right now, probably. So they're probably playing at home in the playoffs. But we're going to see whether this team truly is what they've looked like through the first eight weeks, which is historic. And we're going to see that starting this Sunday in Baltimore. You know, when you play in New York, things can get a little hyped. And players that play in the spotlight of New York and L.A., some of the other big markets, they get a lot more. They get a lot more attention, a lot more hype than players that play in smaller markets. Now, I've watched Sam Darnold now for almost two years, a year and a half, start for the New York Jets. And I think Darnold is, has a chance to be a good quarterback. But I don't see anything special from that guy. And I found it laughable this year in the offseason when people were talking about Darnold as being like the next great young quarterback or being like the heir apparent to, you know, one of the top echelon quarterbacks and, and putting him in that group. And I, I saw some flashes from Darnold but last year, but this is 2019. And anyone that comes in should be able to make some plays downfield. I mean, I think Darnold threw like 20 touchdowns, 14 picks. Not a bad rookie campaign. But really, taken in the context of this era, it's really nothing special from Sam Darnold. And now you have a couple more starts this year. He had the bad injury. But you had a couple more starts this year. And what are you seeing from this guy? I just don't know if he's going to be all that the New York media hype machine has told us this guy is. I'm looking at what Sam Donald's doing, and I don't think it's all that much different than what Gardner Minshew has done. In fact, it might be less. Or Mason Rudolph. Or... You know, Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield, the only one of these young quarterbacks that's really playing distinguished right now is Jacoby Brissett. And he gets no real credit for it. And Kyler Murray looks great so far, too, given where that team is. But Donald is getting a lot of, lot of extra credit. It's not dissimilar to what happened with Odell Beckham Jr., I mean, I know everyone loves OBJ, and I, I'm not going to tell you the guy's not a very good player. I just don't think he's a great player, and I never did. I think he made a great play on national television on Monday night 
with a phony baloney glove on his hand, by the way. And I think that vaulted him into like urban legend status. And all of a sudden, this guy is is considered the best receiver in football. Well, you know what? Catching 12 or 13 touchdowns, you're a good player. But in 2019, there's going to be any number of guys in the NFL that do that in any one year. And I've seen game-changing, generational wide receiver talent before. I saw it with Randy Moss. I saw it with Calvin Johnson. I saw it with Antonio Brown. And I never, ever felt like OBJ was that kind of a player. And everything that's happened in the last two years has validated that because you look at what he's doing now in Cleveland, and he's nothing special. Listen, you could have taken Calvin Johnson in his prime or Randy Moss in his prime and put him on, or Jerry Rice in his prime, and put them on that Cleveland team, and they would at least be making some kind of impact. I mean, OBJ's been silent. He's been silent. And we're all pointing the finger at Mayfield and Kitchens and the offensive line, and guess what? They all stink. But a generational wide receiver, he's still going to make some kind of impact. LBJ has made almost none. And that's because he's not that level of player. And maybe, just maybe, Eli Manning deserves a little bit more credit than we gave him for making OBJ into what he was. Maybe Manning isn't quite as bad as we all thought he was the last couple years. And I, I know his time is over. His time should be over. But the New York hype machine does that to people. And it did it to Sam Darnold this year. I think if you made a list of, of the best young quarterbacks in football, you don't, Darnold's not number one or two. I mean, I mean, there's still so much about him that's up in the air. And I'll tell you this. I make reference to this all the time, but it is so relevant. By the time a quarterback gets to the end of his second year as a starter, and this has been studied, there are very few instances in the NFL of players changing their game meaningfully at the end of two years as a starter quarterbacks. So Darnold's getting to that point where, you know, you give him another 10 starts this year and he's almost at two full years as a starter. He's almost to that point where it's kind of the what you see is what you get line. And maybe that's just kind of an above average quarterback. Maybe that's kind of a guy that's a little turnover prone. And then the one last thing I got to say about him, and, you know, it's kind of a tough break, but the whole seeing ghosts thing, I mean, that's a tough blow to the psyche of any developing player, especially a quarterback. And I'm really curious to see if this guy's got the guts to overcome that and still be, you know, what we want or what they want him to be in New York. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. And it has to affect you. It has to affect you. If you're a human being and it's human nature to question yourself. And this guy is coming in. He's had some moments. He hasn't been great. It's not like a guy that's won multiple Super Bowls or, you know, been a great player for 10 years and something like that happens. This is a guy that's trying to find his place in the league. And somewhere deep inside, he's probably saying, you can I really play? Can I really play at this level? And when you have something like that happen, it's just a big blow. So, I don't know where Donald's career is going to go, but I'll tell you this. If by the end of this year, he's still throwing two or three picks a game and he had three interceptions this week against Jacksonville, this is a big bounce-back game for him. This is a game where a guy like Brady comes back in and after he gets embarrassed on national television and embarrassed just thoroughly, you know, a guy like Brady always would come up big in those spots. Well, Sam Donald came up small this week. And Sam Donald is no Tom Brady. We know that. 
but but this was just a telling week for him to see if he could he could respond to adversity because that's part of being an NFL quarterback. And Sam Darnold came up small this week in the face of adversity. He came up really small. That's not a good sign if you're a Jets fan. And we'll see if he can bounce back the rest of the year. A couple quick hits around the league. I want to start. Um, I want to go to um, Kansas City this week because even in loss against the Packers at home, the Chiefs won a tiny bit of street cred back again this week. Now, I said two weeks ago I talked about how no team had lost street cred faster than the Kansas City Chiefs had with back-to-back home losses. They went from being considered one of the best teams in the league to really embarrassed in back-to-back weeks against the Colts and the Texans. And they showed me something against Denver. And, and even though Denver's not that good, they won a little bit of credibility back in my house because they won that game without Mahomes for most of the game. And they won that game with a little bit of defense, a little bit of running, and they showed they were more of a team. Well, this week against the Packers, even though they lost, they showed again they're playing a little harder on defense. They're more than just the Patrick Mahomes show. Or at least they were this week. Matt Moore looked decent. They showed some fight. They showed some guts. They showed they could run the ball a little. They showed that their skill position players are formidable. And they have great talent when it comes to guys making plays. And I felt like even though they gave up a lot of points, I felt like their defense played hard against the Packers. So Kansas City Chiefs have a long way to go in my eyes in terms of proving that they're any kind of team that can compete with the New England Patriots or any of the top teams in the league. But they did show a little bit, just a little bit, this week against the Packers in terms of we are more than just Patrick Mahomes' show. You know, those of us in the Cam Newton's 10-year should be over in Carolina camp got dealt a major blow this weekend with the Carolina Panthers' pretty resounding and one-sided loss in San Francisco. And it's as if the waters... I mean, that was already a complicated situation. And now the waters just got even more muddy. Because Kyle Allen looked like, frankly, a backup quarterback. And that was the biggest test the Panthers had had since Newton has been out injured. Now, Newton hasn't been doing great for a long time. But, you know, on one side of the coin, you got... Drew Brees. And when Drew Brees gets hurt, you know, when he's healthy, you bring him back. Why? Because he's been a great player for so long. And no one was really questioning that Teddy Bridgewater should replace Drew Brees, even though the Saints were 5-0 and without him, without Brees. But because Newton's performance has just frankly been so poor and so mercurial in Carolina for the last really three years, a lot of people naturally questioning whether... Allen should stay in there for Carolina. And, and, and I was one of them. And I, I mean, I've gone so far as to say that, that yes, Kyle Allen should, should stay. The Panthers should stay with Kyle Allen. Well, that was dealt a major blow this weekend because, because now the waters are very muddy in Carolina. And I think they say Allen is going to start again this week. Newton's still not ready medically. But it's going to be a very tough decision in a tough situation for Ron Rivera when, when Newton finally is healthy. For the 49ers, hey, that was a statement win this week. That was a win 
that said something to the NFL. That wasn't just a win. That was a win that said, we are undefeated too. You better start paying attention to us. The Niners now are 7-0. Jimmy Garoppolo, I believe, is 15-2 as an NFL starter. I think this is going to be one of the great sports debates or questions, or could be if Garoppolo keeps going this way of all time, which is, you know, did the Patriots make a mistake by letting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo? And, and I think the answer forever will be no. Because in the two years since then, hey, they made a Super Bowl and they won a Super Bowl. I mean, what more could you ask for? And Garoppolo still hasn't won anything. But it looks like Garoppolo might be around for a while. He's still, he's still a little shaky at times. I don't really think he's winning these games with his arm. But there's something to be said about guys that just play winning football. I mean, Troy Aikman... He never threw for 3,500 yards and 30 touchdowns, you know, but, but they always won championships and games. There is an art to playing winning quarterback, and sometimes it's a little different than, than piling up big numbers. And maybe Garoppolo just has something. I don't know. But that Niners team looks like they are a very complete team, and you could also make an argument that they're a more complete roster than the Patriots. I want to go to Chicago, where things just keep getting worse and worse for Mitchell Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. They're three and four now, and it just looks like Trubisky is regressing in his third year in the NFL. Now, last year, he wasn't spectacular, but he did throw 24 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Yesterday, he looked totally disjointed against a pretty mediocre San Diego defense at home. And really, the story of the Chicago Bears game should be not that they missed a field goal with, with, with seconds left to win the game. It should be that Bears had the ball inside the red zone four times, four times in the first half. And they came up with nine points, missed a field goal, couldn't get in the end zone. That's why the Bears lost that game yesterday. You want to put it on the shoulders of Eddie Pinheiro. Well, you know what? 41-yard kick, Soldiers Field, windy day, natural grass. Should he make the kick? Yeah, he should make the kick. But that's not a that's not a gimme kick. That's not a gimme kick. The Bears couldn't get the ball in the end zone. They should have been up 20 points in the fourth quarter of that game. Should have never had a chance to even lose that game. That's why they lost the game. Red zone opportunities whether you take the three, the seven, or a zero, that decides so many football games. And, and that's exactly why the Bears lost. Now, I saw Matt Nagy's press conference, and his attitude to me was laughable. You, you can get up there, Matt Nagy, and you can be all in the face of some reporter, like you, you're the expert, and why I did this, and I didn't consider running the ball, and you know I'm the coach. Let me ask you one question. If there's 43 seconds left on a windy day in Foxborough, and Bill Belichick's got a first and 10. Is he going to put the game in the hands of his kicker? Or is he going to run another couple plays? And I know, I get it. Belichick has Brady as his quarterback. And you've got Mitchell Trubisky. But it still doesn't change the point. Okay, You have to get the ball closer. A 41-yard kick, even under the best conditions, is probably like an 85% kick. In a dome. Maybe 90%. That still means a 1 in 10 chance he missed. On a windy day, on grass, in Soldier Field, the wind was blowing all over the place. That's a, that's a, that's a kick that's going to miss 25, 30% of the time. 
You have to be able to move the ball up the field. You have to be able to trust your quarterback to do something to get yourself closer. To piss away 43 seconds off the clock and, and, and miss the winning kick, I'm sorry. At the end of the day, you do take a lot of responsibility for that loss. That was poor coaching and poor decision-making. You want to get arrogant and snippy with the reporters for question you want? You can't. But Bill Belichick wouldn't have done that. I don't think most coaches in the NFL would have done that. Why do you want to put the hands, the game in the hands of your kicker? And oh, by the way, we're talking Eddie Pinheiro here. This isn't Adam Vinatieri circa 2004. This isn't, you know, one of the best kickers in the NFL. This is this is a guy that you pulled off the scrap heap last year. And you lost in the playoffs last year because you couldn't make a kick. And you put the game in the hands of that guy when you didn't have to? Shame on you and shame on your quarterback if you can't trust him enough to throw a few passes and not sell the farm and blow the game. Things are not going well for that Chicago franchise right now. I think as we get deeper into this year, they were a good team last year. It's becoming apparent that this whole Nagy-Trubisky pairing is not really a long-term sustainable pairing in terms of fielding a competitive team. This is not an Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. This is not a Mike Tomlin, Ben Roethlisberger. This is not, dare I say, an Aaron Rodgers, um, Matt McCarthy, even though that flamed out last year. They did pretty good for a long time. This is not a coach-quarterback pairing that's going to resonate for five, ten years. They caught some lightning in the bottle last year. They looked decent. And right about now, it looks like Trubisky's regressing. It looks like Nagy's in over his head. And it looks like the Bears are going to be back or building before you know it. And I'll say it again. I'll belabor the point because I think it's a great point. The Bears passing on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson to take Trubisky, it will color the landscape of the NFL for the next decade. It is literally the biggest draft mistake that, that we've seen in the NFL in a generation. And it's going to be something that every week we're going to watch. And the poor Bears fans, who are great fans, great franchise, are going to be back to rebuilding and looking for that franchise guy again because he's not Trubisky. Trubisky's just good enough to make you think that maybe he can take that next step. He's like Ryan Tannehill. Right? Tannehill lasted four or five years in Miami. He's like Marcus Mariota. He was lasted a few years in Tennessee. He's just good enough to give you hope. He's not a total flame out, but he's not good enough to win games against top competition. He's not good enough to consistently win and get you in the playoffs. And because of that, this is going to be painful to watch for the Chicago Bears fans because this is going to be something that's going to drag out over the next two or three years. If the Bears are smart, they draft another quarterback this April, but they won't. They'll stick with Trubisky, they'll try and build around him, and they'll let him paralyze that franchise for another two or three years until they finally decide to move on. Well, that's all the time we have this week on the Dr. Football Podcast. It's all the time I'm going to take. I want to thank anyone who might have listened. It's about a half hour before the NFL trade deadline right now. So we'll see what happens across the league as we get closer to the deadline. There's been a few somewhat relevant trades already waiting in New England to see what the Pats might do. And um, we shall see what happens. But I want to thank everyone for listening. We'll be back on Friday with another episode looking at the game on Thursday night, which is a sneaky good game all of a sudden. And uh, a look ahead to the NFL weekend. So thank you all for listening. Have a great day. And uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Be good.